Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the first Q&A of 2021. Hallelujah. God bless you. Have a blessed year ahead. And as you heard on 31st night, this is the year, believe. I mean, when it looks impossible, it's when God makes things possible. This is the year of enlargement. This is the year you need to stretch. Mm. You need to strengthen your cords. Driving deep the stakes. Amen. And God is going to stretch us to the left and to the, to the right. right. Yes. So Rome, by the minute you need to stretch, there is going to be a battle. And be ready for the battle because when he says stretch, he's already promised victory in the battle. So have a blessed year ahead. And as we come to the Q&A, before we start, I would ask Pastor Vijay to lead us in prayer, please. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you once again for this time. Thank you, Father, for one year that has gone by, thank you, Lord, and that we have entered into another year. Lord, we always are expectant, O Lord, Father, of great things from you. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So he loved the world that he gave us his son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for, for, your, for your son. Thank you, Father, for giving us your spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And this evening, O Lord, even as, Lord, we, Father, spend time in your presence, O Lord, looking at all these questions that your children have from all around the world, I pray, Father, that you'd grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Anoint your servant and anoint all of us, O Lord Jesus, to be able to understand not only, not only uh, the answer, but your heart. Know you even more closely, O Lord Jesus. And Lord, for your word says, those who know their God will grow strong strong and will be mighty and do great exploits to that and i pray that you would lord bless this time of question and answers O lord jesus and through everything that we do O lord your name and your name alone will be glorified we thank you we praise you for in jesus mighty name we pray amen 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 all right pastor yes we can start so pastor the question is uh three in the in the, in the list it says there is an idea in the in the schools or seminaries that in the Old Testament, men were saved by law. In the New Testament, men are saved by grace. Is the first one false and the second one true? Yes, definitely. <coughs> Nobody is saved by the law. law. Hmm. We know the purpose of the law. So if you turn with me to the book of Galatians, the law had only one pers- purpose. Chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified Justified by by faith. faith. So even in the Old Testament, Mm. the purpose of the law was to point people to Christ. And people were only, when you say, people say, how were people saved in the Old Testament? They were also saved only by faith. Faith, yes. Nobody was saved by by the keeping of the law. If you turn with me to the book of Romans and chapter 4 and words 1 onwards. What then shall... (coughs) What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Meaning, if he was justified by the works of the law. Hmm. That's what it means. Whenever works is connected, is there, the law comes in there. Because if there is no law, there is no works. Yes. 
the works of the law, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Mm. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So if you are saved by your works, then God owes you salvation. Mm. It is a debt. It is wages. It is wages. Okay. So nobody can be saved by the law because then we will come back here. Let's go to James chapter 2 and verse 10. The fundamental issue with the law is this. 2.10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. <laughs> guilty of all. So here it says, even Abraham was justified by faith because he believed, he believed. So, if you come down to verse 6 of John uh, Romans 4, 5, 6. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the... See, be very careful when you read it. Oh, I don't have to work, so now I am justified. We are not talking about that work. Okay, you need to go out and work mm-hmm. if you want to live, okay? It's not talking about that. It is talking about putting your trust in the works of the law oh. to be justified before God. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as, now we are flipping from Abraham to David. David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works. Okay, that's where faith comes in. So if you go now down with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, now in Hebrews chapter 11, the first words onwards, if you look, we blow our minds away with first thinking about claiming, naming everything which you don't see. But actually it is talking about Context-wise about salvation. Mm. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. What is that? I am saved by faith. That I put my trust in something God is going to do. Yes. Going to do. Okay? In the Old Testament, going to do. And because God is going to do, I can go to the bank with it. Because it's as good as done. Amen. Amen. For God it is done, but for us in the old, if I was living in the time of Adam and subsequent generation, it is not done. But because God has already said in the garden, the seed of the woman will crush the way is shown out. And then there is a picture in the garden. Scripture says that Adam and Eve, before they were sent out of the garden, he clothes them with garments of skin. So a picture is there. An animal has to die. They are covered and they are sent out. Mm. The Lord, also for Adam and Eve, his wife, Lord. So something happened. A blood is shed. They are covered and they are sent. Mm. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says, By faith. Okay, That's how Abel is justified. He obtained witness that he was righteous. How was he righteous? Just because he came by faith through the blood. Blood, He came through the blood. Okay, He came through the blood. And that is how he is justified. So whether you are in the Old Testament before the law, or whether you are in the Old Testament after After the the law, law, you are only justified by faith. Now, if you look at the Exodus record, how did Israel come out of Egypt? 
what did they do? They did nothing. Mm. The last and the final thing was that before they could get out, or they had to put the blood on their doorpost. Mm. It was after the blood was put on the doorpost that is the night the Pharisee said, "Leave." Yes, he said, "Leave." After that, he couldn't hold them anymore. He said, "Go, leave, and bless me also. Leave." Okay. So when Israel left, it's a picture of salvation. What did they do? Nothing. Nothing. All they were told was to kill that lamb which had been kept without blemish, take, collect that blood in a basin, use hyssop. Hyssop represents faith. You take the blood, put it on the doorpost of your house, stay inside. That's all they had to do. There was nothing else they could do. And the angel of death passed over. Meaning, you believed in the blood of the lamb, that Passover lamb, and John the Baptist will finally point out that behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So you see everybody in the Old Testament who was saved, everybody did not get saved, everybody who was saved were saved only because of faith and a righteousness of Christ. The difference is that in their case and our case is that they were also saved by faith, we are also saved by faith. They also had an imputed righteousness, we also yes. have imputed righteousness. The difference is that we have the Spirit in us. We were born again by the Spirit of God. And I will tell you, the what's the difference? And a huge difference if you come to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Okay? And verse 37 <coughs> to 39. On the last day, that the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, those whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There is a giving of the Holy Spirit which is completely different from the Old Testament. And I will show you. This is said in John chapter 14. Okay. Yeah, this is from verse 15 onwards. Yeah. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'll pray the Father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Look at this verse, which is important. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, and I will not you orphans. He dwells with you and he will be in you. The other way he used it, he will be upon you and he will be in you. In the old covenant, the spirit came upon people. They were never born by the spirit. That's the difference. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus, the difference between the old and the New Testament believers. In John chapter uh, 3 and uh, words 3 and 5. Jesus answered and said to the most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, <coughs> unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is the difference between us. See, in the old covenant, if you look at them, except for Daniel, almost none of them had a real concept about the kingdom of God. 
So all their aspiration, dreams, ambitions were connected with this world. Yes. And death was a huge failure. Everybody was afraid of death. Nobody looked forward to death, including Hezekiah. Nobody wanted to die because death was ultimate end, defeat. Nobody was sure about Very few people knew about what the kingdom of God was. They did not have a concept about the kingdom of God. In the new covenant, the believer begins with the kingdom of God. Yes. You are born again. Death is not defeat. It is victory. But both sides are saved. And they are all, both sides are saved by faith. But the salvation experience is completely different. And because they did not have access by faith to the kind of grace that we have, the Holy Spirit, they were never able to overcome the law, overcome sin. They were not. But to us, it is given the potentially the fact that we can overcome all sin because we are born of God. We can overcome the world. They could never overcome the world. We can overcome the world. They could never overcome the devil. They had no power. They had no authority like that unless God was given specific but not like us. So that is the tangible difference. Mm. Otherwise, Old Testament or New Testament, people who are saved only by faith. The purpose, and the Bible is very, very clear about, is very clear about the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to lead us to, to Christ. Christ. It's only, only purpose of the law was to make you miserable. That you would cry out for a savior. Who will? Who will? And like Saul, um, Paul will say, who will? Wretched man that I am. And people came. So even Abraham was saved by faith. And if and if you look at it, he is saved in Genesis chapter 15 and is circumcised only in Genesis chapter 17. Mm -hmm. And in 15, he is uh, around uh, Seven, 80, 80 years 89 old. years old, 80, 87 years mm -hmm. old. And in Genesis chapter 17, he is 99, mm -hmm. 13 years mm -hmm. later, meaning he is saved when what is circumcision? That's the first sign of the law. Mm. First sign of the law. Meaning he is saved by faith 13 years before he is circumcised. Yes. So he's not saved by the law at all. Mm -hmm. So it's a picture about it. Basically, it's a picture saying both Gentiles and, and Jews, Jews uncircumcised and the circumcised will be only saved by faith. Mm -hmm. So it is a fallacy to think about it. It is not that way. And there are a lot of Old Testament people in the New Covenant Church. Mm -hmm. They haven't really believed like we are supposed to believe. So they are very Old Testament in their practice. And they still work under the law. And the problem with the law is that the law brings a curse. The law brings a curse. That's why the law cannot. Galatians, you have to read Galatians. The book of Galatians is a thesis about the, the weakness of the law. The weakness of the law. And the law does not save anybody. The purpose of the law is only to bring us to Christ. Yes. Yes. So question number four is, uh, I think, logically following. It says the people in the Old Testament were not saved by keeping anything. So because we deserve hell, how do we react to Solomon as well? He too deserve hell. Did he make it to heaven? Do we wait till we get there? See, you have to understand the difference. To keep something. So you are not saved by the works of the law. Yet you were asked to keep something. Hmm. It's not that you could be lawless and then expect to be saved. Yes. That does not happen in the Old Testament or the, the New, New Testament. Testament yes. Like I said, faith <coughs> has legs. It walks. You are not saved by works, but faith that works. Hmm. 
you need to have a faith that works. Right? Now you are all seeing us live because the system is working. If the system is not working, you will not see us. So if we spend money in a system, it needs to work. Otherwise it's a dead system. Okay? So if you have a faith that saves, that faith has works. You are not saved by the works, but the faith that works. So whether you are in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you had to have a faith that works. So Abel believed. Let us say he's outside the garden. He's born there. He has heard his father and mother talk about what has happened in the garden. Mm. He knows about it. Again knows about it. I don't know whether Adam ever offered a sacrifice. We do not know anything. It's hidden from us. But they definitely know. Because the Bible says faith comes from hearing, hearing. and hearing from the word of God. Yeah. One way or other, Abel has heard. Mm-hmm. Now when he has heard, what will you do? Do you believe? I believe. What is the proof that you believed? You obey. Mm-hmm. What is the proof that you believe? When you believe in something, there is always a work associated with it. Yes. Okay? Like we say in English, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Do you believe in dinner? But if you don't work according to your belief, will you be hungry or will you be full? Hmm. Will your belief just satisfy you? If you believe in it, you go down, sit at the table, take your plate, take the food, you eat, and then you are full. Why? Because you believed and according to your belief, there was a work. The same way Abel had to do something according to what he has heard, what he believes. And that's what it says, by faith he came with the blood. Mm-hmm. That is what saved him. That belief and the work put together saves him. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have a belief and there is no work at all and they think they are going to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, God says, you are not going to heaven because you have been built. But I believe. They said, no, you have been believed. Mm-hmm. So Paul and James are not contradicting each, each other, other at all. Mm-hmm. I believe. Question, do you pray? No, I don't pray. Then how do you say you believe? What are you believing in? I believe in God. If you believe in God, why don't you talk to Him? Do you pray? I'm not saying praying saves you, but the saved one prays. Saved one believes in God. Therefore, he prays. Do you believe? Yes. Do you read your word? No, I don't. Then how are you saved? Because the word of God is supposedly what saved you. And if you saved then you cannot stay away from what saved you. Mm. So, it is not that because you read your word, you are saved. But because you are saved, you read your word. It's a difference. It is not that you pray and you are saved. No, you are saved, therefore you pray. Do you go to church? No, I don't go to church. I can survive. No, but wait a second. (laughs) That is not what the Bible says. If you go to church, you are not saved. But you are saved, you go to church. So it may look outwardly the same, but inwardly it's a completely different thing. These are the works of salvation. Okay, You love, you show mercy, you show compassion, you deal with anger, you deal with pride, everything, because you suddenly realize, you know what, these are things that offense my God. These are things that are contrary to faith, mm-hmm. living faith. So you fight those things. Yes. But when you don't do these things, you're just following religion. Mm-hmm. Now when a man who does all these things does not mean he is saved, mm-hmm. but if he is saved, he will automatically do these oh, things. Yes. That is the difference. You're not saved by your works, but when you're saved, salvation has works. Corresponding works. Corresponding yes. works. Mm-hmm. That is why repenting means turning away and faith towards God. That's how so about Solomon, was he saved? Yes. Did he go to hell? 
I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't think he went to hell. I mean, speculations are there, but I don't think, not because of Solomon, mm-hmm. not because of Solomon, because of God. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. Chronicles. First Chronicles. Mm. One second. Where is that where God appears to David and says about his household? Chronicles or? It's 2 Samuel chapter 7 is also there. The two places. Yeah, but uh, one place is very, very clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm. My mercy, my love, I will not take from Take it. Yes. Yes, yes, it is. 2 uh, Samuel chapter 7. Yes, first, uh, second Samuel chapter 7. Mm. Okay. Verse, uh, 12 onward, uh, 11 onwards. Since that time I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel have caused it, and the Lord also tells you, He will make you a house, is telling David. There are two applications to it. One is temporal, one is prophetic, eternal. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. There are two applications. First, the seed is Solomon. Second, it is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ two yes. applications. Yes. So both are valid. Who will come after from your body and I will establish his kingdom. We know it is true. Solomon's time, the kingdom was established. He shall build a house for my name, which is true. Temporarily, he built the house of God, the temple. But we also know the temple is built by Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, which is his body. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We know that. It is also about Jesus Christ. And from that line, Jesus comes and Solomon's kingdom is established that way. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Mm. Now, if you look at it, Jesus never committed iniquity. Yes. He could not have committed iniquity. So this is talking about Solomon. But he says, my mercy shall not depart from him. That gives us the hope, the assurance Solomon made to heaven. God did not take his mercy from him. He took his mercy from Saul. So it means Saul did not go to heaven, he went to hell. Mm. Okay, But Solomon went to heaven. And that's why Solomon's kind of final words are in the book of Ecclesiastes. The final words of Solomon, you saw his heart turning back to God. He's returning back like a dog tucks his tail between his legs and slings back to his master, God says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Hmm. And God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good and evil. He's basically making an indictment about himself. Hmm. He says, all my works have been put there, exposed before God, good and bad. And the only thing I have to tell is fear God and keep his commandments. So we know he turned back he returned. Mm-hmm. The waste of talent, wisdom, everything. But at the end of the day, we always stand upon God's promise. That is the assurance. We are not looking at God's works. So when God has said something like that, we can go back and say, you know what, Solomon made it. Saul did not. Saul did not. Question number two will be the final thing on the same theme. So even at that, Solomon coming back in spite of all what he did, 
But if you actually look at Solomon, he didn't do any real wicked deeds, mm. like evil. I don't think he did anything like that. Okay, he took 600 wives and 300 concubines and all. But it was just like like uh, acting like a Gentile king. He didn't abuse, he didn't do, he built all these stuff. That is the only thing he did which was wicked. I don't think he did blood sacrifices or any, nothing of that I think is recorded over there. His heart got swayed away from God by evil women. But evil deeds such, what he did was idolatry, Mm. which is wicked in God's eyes. It's really, really evil, wicked in God's eyes. But I believe he repented from that in his last days. And uh, God brought him, how he... How God brought him back, these things are hidden from us. But he was not like Saul. And Saul never turned back. This man, I believe, turned back. Yes, Pastor. A question two. Uh, so it's also so okay, there was one question in question four. Did he make it to heaven? Do we wait till we get there? Mm. No, you don't wait till we get mm. there. I'll give you... Uh, a portion from the book of, I mean, there are many po- in the New Covenant where the Bible says, because I believe Jesus took them all up, all the saved ones in the Old Testament, Jesus took them all. Remember, they are disembodied beings. A spirit doesn't have a body. What the Old Testament and the New Testament saints who have died, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for their bodies. They're waiting for their bodies. And their body, will. that's what Hebrews 11, the last word says, they are waiting. It only with us they will be made perfect. When does somebody become perfect? When you have all three together, spirit, soul, and body comes together. You have you have a form. Right now, if you turn with me to Revelation chapter six, six and verse nine, this is far into the future. Okay, it has not how far we don't know. Maybe quite. When he opened the fifth seal, okay, when he opened the fifth seal, the seals are being opened. I saw under the altar. The souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Mm. Yeah. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So if you look at them, they are there. They are there. They are under the altar. It's not they are locked up or anything. When we see these pictures, don't see it by physical terms. Because there is no correlation within our material world and the heavenly realm. Under the altar of God, meaning they got a very exalted position. They are under the altar of the Lord. You can see all. It's like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Okay, over there. And there is an altar. And under the altar over there, you will see all these souls over there. And they are all crying out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge of blood on those who dwell on the earth. So, reading scripture from scripture, interpreting scripture from scripture, testament from testament, we believe verse 10, these are the souls of the Old Testament saints, not the souls of the New Testament saints, because New Testament saints Mm. do not cry for vengeance. Mm. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. Mm. The blood of Jesus Jesus cries out for mercy. mercy. So, Stephen will cry out for mercy. Paul will cry out for mercy. But Old Testament saints will always see they cry out for vengeance. When David will tell Solomon, be careful, take care of these guys. Okay? Because that is the Old Testament because law could, those who are under the law could never overcome. So you will see even there, they are asking for vengeance. But New Testament saints do not ask for vengeance. They leave it to God. Vengeance is yours. But what we see is that where they are in heaven, 
So don't think that if you don't change here, you will end up there and suddenly become all holy, holy. No. You will stop where you stop. Mm. Okay? And then probably you will have correction classes there. Not purgatory. There is no purgatory. <laughs> don't get fooled by that. Yes. That's the Question 2 says, how can you justify a wicked man and still be just? Is that being that God is unitary? What does yeah. this mean? That's if, if somebody has given the best revelatory explanation is the Holy Spirit through Paul. Mm. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, three. <laughs> and verse 21 mm. to 26. The most beautiful explanation. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. There's a righteousness that comes. It's apart from the law. It's got nothing to do with the law or the mm. works of the law. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, Jew or Gentile, no. anybody who believes in his life, his work and his death, his resurrection, then for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned, whether you are under grace or law, everybody has sinned, Gentile or Jew, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now look at this, verse 25. Whom he set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate, this is the most important line, at the present time his righteousness that he might be just. just. And the justifier. He's both just and the justifier. How is he just? Sin has to be punished. Evil has to be dealt with. Wickedness has its penalty. But what did he do to uphold his just, just, that is his justice system, his righteousness? He punished Jesus for our sins. That's how he's just. Okay. And the one who sinned when he repents, and looks upon to Jesus alone for mercy, he justifies him. Yes. That is how the thief on that one side, that's where it begins technically in the new covenant. The new covenant literally begins mm-hmm. at Calvary. Oh, yes. He looked at him and says, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, remember me, he says, verily, because he looked at him, and there is a transference that is taking place on Calvary. His sins are put on Jesus. Though both are going through the same punishment, both are not going through the same mm. spiritual punishment. Yes. Physically, they are going through the same punishment. Spiritually, completely different. This man's sins is put upon mm. Jesus and there is righteousness so passes. Trans- so God is just and the justifier. And the justifier. On the other hand, this fellow dies in his sins. He is responsible. The guilt is upon him. So he will go down to hell. This guy will go down to heaven. So that is what the Bible is talking about. Why salvation is only possible through Jesus and no other way. Because and the way God can uphold his righteousness is both just and, and justified is in Christ Jesus. Are my sin on him? His righteousness is imputed on him. And this is continuously the whole process that no, if you look at the next verse 27, you will say, so that no man. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Mm. Nobody can boast. Mm. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it says exactly the same thing. We are saved mm. by grace, through faith. through faith. You have by grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he's the most righteous men you can think of. Noah, Job, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these people. Or in the new covenant, Paul, Peter, every one of the apostles. But everybody stands on the same platform over there. When it comes to salvation, mm. everybody is saved by grace. Post-salvation, you are judged for your rewards. Mm. It's not, you are not judged for your salvation. Salvation, only one thing. That's what I said on, on, I don't know which day this week. Yeah, on 31st night. We don't have a sin problem now. Mm, we have a sun problem. We have a sun problem. Mm. He who has, let's go there also, 1 John. He who has the sun has, has life. life. It does not say who does not have sin. <laughs> okay. 5 and verse 11. And 12. This is the testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. It's as simple as that. You cannot make it simpler than that. If it was written, we would be very happy. He who does not have sin has life. And he who does have sin does not have life. That's not what it says. It says he who does not have the son. The question is, do you have the son or not? Do you have the son? Have you believed in him? Exactly. That's what Abraham, Jesus looked at the Pharisees said when they say, we had Abraham as a father. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see, see my, my day. day. See my day. Mm-hmm. He, he had a vision on that day. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, that is where it begins for Abraham. Yes. Genesis 15 and verse 6, if I'm right. 15. Thank God I brought my right Bible. Hmm. Yeah, 15. Yeah, verse 6. Oh, let's look, look at uh, verse 5 and 6. Then only it will come to you. He brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to. Oh, okay. Go to KJV, KJV. Okay. That is wrong, wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And we shall prove it is wrong. <laughs> Translation is wrong. Not your dissonance. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. He said unto him, So shall thy seed, seed be. be. It is not seeds. It is not dissonance. Mm. It is seed. That seed is Jesus Christ. It is not Isaac. Mm-hmm. It is not Isaac. He believed in the Lord and it counted into for righteousness. At that moment, what he was seeing was he believed his in the son. Sons. Believed in, the sons. in the Son of God. Now come to Galatians mm-hmm. chapter 3. Mm-hmm. That is uh, 3. Abra- Abra- the gospel was preached to Abraham, you were saying? No, 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 about the seed. Um. Yeah, yeah, chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, 16, 16. Got it? Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. You see the revelation from 15 to Galatians 3.16, suddenly Paul sees. Mm. So even translated, godly translators have gone it wrong when they're translated. And so that's why we always say at the end of the day we go back to KJV. KJV. 
We do not know how they got it right and all the others got it. You look at almost every translation, almost every language, the translation of Genesis chapter 15. Dissonance. It is dissonance. It cannot be dissonance because scripture itself refutes it is not dissonance, it is the seed. Now to Abraham and his seed, the promise were made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ, Mm -hmm. not Isaac, and not Israel. So they got it wrong over there. They got it wrong over there. And the translators did not uh, look at this, because Paul is standing with Genesis chapter 15. The seed is Jesus Christ. And that is what uh, Jesus was telling. That's when they picked up stones. Mm He is saying, uh, before you, your father Abraham, I was. He rejoiced to see my day. He says, he's just there on 30 plus years. So what is he talking about? Before Abraham was, I am. He says, before Abraham, I am. Mm-hmm. I am. So this is what it is talking about. And this is where they go wrong. This is where they go wrong. So that is only in Christ. Even how was Abraham saved? Because he believed in Jesus. How was Isaac saved? Because he believed in Jesus. Meaning, prophetically, they looked at there's something that would come in the future. And we look back, they look to the front. And it's only by faith and faith alone you are saved. Does that mean that God is unitary? What does he is? What is he? Oh, that's okay. Meaning, I mean, we oh, leave oh, oh, theological terms. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so, question number five. Mm. When God asked Adam, mm. where art thou? God knows everything. Then why did he ask him the question? Was it to check if he was lying? Or was it because Adam was lost? No. This is a theological question. Because when God asks questions, you know, and when it is recorded, uh, it has much more implications than Adam. It is his, Adam represents humanity. So the question is not directed to Adam alone. It is directed to every man. Where are you? Mm. Basically, God knows where he is. But does he know where he is? Does every man who's living, does he really know that he's hiding from God? One. Second, you can hide nothing from God. Mm. Nothing from God. So the question is not directed to Adam alone. It's directed to all of us. Do you really know where you are? That's what God asks Elijah also. What are you doing here? Okay. But I, you, you know you sh- this is not where you're supposed to be. Okay, this morning we saw Elisha ask, where were you? I didn't go anywhere, mm. really. <laughs> My spirit went with you. I know where you went. Mm. So God asks us questions, not because he does not have the answers. He asks us questions so that we find the answers in him. If God does not, because sometimes questions will cause us to think, like that's the first question. And then Adam says, I was afraid, I was naked, I was afraid. He says, who told you? Mm. Don't. And that's our major issue. Who told us all these things? Whose voice are we listening yes. to? Mornings, these things. The subtlety of the devil. Mm. How devil deceives our mind. Who told you these things? Did I tell you? Mm. Are you looking for another voice which is now authenticating truth? Or I am the only voice that tells you what is truth? Who told you? He asked. Then the third question he asks is, what have you done? Mm. And they're all related. Where are you? Because depending upon where are you, your position in life or wherever you are is always dependent upon the voice you have listened to. Yes. If you have listened to the voice of God, you are in the right place. Mm. If you have listened to any other voice, you have moved away from your position. He listened to the voice of Jezebel and now he's running. Why are you running? 
I gave you strength to overtake Ahab's chariot and you were right at my place where I want you should have gone and finished her off. Instead you ran because you listened to another voice. Both, he was running from Jezreel and he was running towards Jezreel. If you look at outwardly, both times he's running. But one is running away because he listened to the wrong voice and here he's running because the anointing God, the Spirit of God is taking him in the right direction. So depending upon what you have heard is where your position will be determined. Mm. And what you do is always determined by the voice you have heard. So I said, what have you done? What have you done? And the only one who could answer it always correctly was Jesus Christ. If God were to, like the first question, where are you? Second question, who, who told, told you? you? Third question, what, what have, have you done? done? Fourth question, outside the garden, why are you yeah, angry? Yeah. And the uh, fifth question, where is your brother? No. It's a five fundamental questions in Genesis 3 and 4. The only one who could answer it was always Jesus. Where are you? Exactly, Father, where you want mm. me. Who told you? I do not do anything which I haven't heard from my father. Anything other than what? What have you done? I have done exactly what you have told me to do. Behold, I have come to do your will. Why are you angry? I'm angry at the hardness of men. And I'm angry because they have made your house a house of merchandise. Mm. His anger was always righteous. It was righteous indignation. Where is my brother? He lifts up his hands and says, These are my brothers and my sisters. I am my brother's keeper. Mm. He's the only one who had the answers to that five questions. And God says, That is why mm. each one is supposed to follow. These mm. are the five fundamental questions. After that, you look through the questions mm. in the book of Genesis, through the Bible, all the way to Malachi. You will see the questions God mm. asks. Unlike our questions, listen to the questions God asks. And when you search for the answer, you will find truth. Mm. We need to answer. Like, like he asked uh, Sarah, why did you laugh? <laughs> he asked Hagar. Hagar is running away. Mm. She's pregnant. She's acting up now. She runs away from the house. And the angel of the Lord meets her. Jesus asks, where are you where coming are you from? from? Where, are, where you are you going? And he asks lots of people, do you know where you're coming from? Where are you going? Wow. There's only one place where salvation is found. This is my house. Mm. And you're running away from there into the world. Do you know where you're going? Mm. Do you know where you're coming from? Go back mm. and so submit to the hand of your mistress. Go back. Go back. I'll make a son great. But this is the only way. Go back. To Sarah, he asks, why did you laugh? Is anything too impossible for God? When you sit in the church and you hear the prophecy like we heard, the word of the Lord for 2021, I will enlarge and stretch, strengthen, lengthen. He'll say, who, me? I don't think it's possible. He says, why do you laugh? He says, wasn't that woman a 90-year-old woman? Body as good as dead, an old man, 99 years old. Yes. He said, why do you laugh? Is anything too impossible for God? We do not realize those questions have reverberated down centuries till now. When we hear a word of the Lord like that, you say, everything looks bleak, everything looks dark. But she laughed in her heart. She did not open her mouth. She said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. She said, you did. You did. Listen, read that carefully. Mm. She laughed in her mind. And sometimes we also hear these promises. We laugh. And God asks, why do you laugh? And he tells Jacob the next question, what is your name? Mm. What's your name? God says, what's your name? He asks all his children, what's your name? You should say, my name is Christian. Mm. If you're a Christian, then why are you walking in darkness? If, you're, if your name is Christian, you are light. You are anointed. Why are you living like this? Why are you hiding? If that's your name, then your life doesn't agree with your, your name. So all these questions are there and these questions are important all the way. Then you go through the question Jesus asked. Jesus asked. This one, 
question, unanswered question and answer, I think it's in the found in the book of Jonah. <laughs> right. If all these books have one question itself, which will turn your, uh, turn your mind. Okay. Where is Jonah? Hmm. After last, last chapter, last chapter. The last chapter, chapter four. Pasha is there. Is there? Four, Jonah, Jonah, four. Four, ten. There was a verse in Jonah. Is it verses? Okay. Got it? Okay, anyway, leave it. We will not waste over that. Uh, it's uh, Amos, Obadiah and Jonah. Yeah. So my, I'm looking at There is a question. Yeah, yeah. Last, uh, verse 10, verse 10. Verse 10, yeah. Verse 10. And 11. Ah, uh, verse 11, verse 11, yeah. Verse 11. Okay. Should I not have pity? Should I, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? It just leaves it open. That's it's a question. Question. open question, yeah. That's what I know, it's the last verse of mm. Jonah. Should I not have pity? It's a Gentile city. They don't know the right hand from the left. People say, what about all these unbelievers who do not know? But say, shouldn't I have pity on them? Hmm. What are you praying for them? Oof. Fire come down and destroy them? <laughs> or should I have pity on them? It just leaves it open to the prophet. What do you, th- what do you say? There's no answer there. They left to each individual. Are you going to react like my servant Moses and my servant Paul? Or are you going to react like my servant Jonah? Sitting there and waiting for fire to fall. He says, should not have pity. It's a rhetorical question. It left open-ended. So one, I think, the only book in the Bible which ends with a question. Hmm. Okay. And then the questions of Jesus Christ. What do you seek? From there it begins. What do you seek? All the way post Calvary, everything there are questions asking. If he lives till I come, what is it to you? Why are you bothered about him? You should be bothered about your life. <laughs> no? He asked Peter. What is that to you? Hmm. Questions, questions galore. But those questions matter. If you look at the questions that Jesus asks and God asks, we'll get answers to life. And the Bible begins with God's quest. First the devil's questions, and then God's questions. Then only man is allowed to speak. Hallelujah. Yes, Pastor Vida. Hallelujah. Question number six. The men in the Old Testament were the holiest and the most obedient men. How come none of us as men, pastors, servants of God who are alive cannot be called out or picked by God like the one like the Old Testament servants? We are afraid to totally surrender. Men who are married and are servants of God, do you think we have the fear of loving God more than our wife and our kids? I heard you once say, give your wife your hand, give your heart to God. My wife was mad. <laughs> now she's okay, but still struggles. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, we cannot say the men in the Old Testament were the holiest and most obedient men. Now, honestly, let us take the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Malachi. <coughs> How many can you count who were holy? 100? 50? How many names do we have? <laughs> okay, so it is not that we are looking at some specific specimens among them mm. and to make them holy, it took God 
years and years and years and Moses and all. How many years God had to work? Jacob and all God had to this thing. But new covenant people are not like, like that. that. Yes. Not new covenant people are not like that. Much is possible in the new covenant. It is because if you look at uh, look at uh, Romans six fourteen, our favorite verse. You know, what happened? Six fourteen. <coughs> no. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's the difference with the old. So you will see, if you look at all of them, they could never finish like anybody in the new covenant. They could never finish like anybody in the new covenant. In the new covenant, you could overcome. You could really, really overcome. You talk about one man in the Old Testament who could really overcome his enemies. Loving his enemies was nobody. No, it was not even a concept in their head that you need to love your enemies and pray for your enemies and bless your enemies. It was not even there. Die for your enemies. Mm-hmm. It's not even there in their mind because it is impossible for them. Yes. Because why? The Spirit of God has not been released to save the Gentiles. So you can't even love them that way. But there's no point. I mean, it's not point. I mean, it's not going to make any difference. Okay. So the new covenant is a radical shift. So when you're talking about the Old Testament and the New State, yes, in behavior and everything and all, it may look they were holier than us, but they were not. Really, they were not. It's not they did not want to, but they could not because they never understood the life of Christ, what God was offering to the new covenant. And many of the things what they did was just prophetic. Peter says about that. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Mm-hmm. 9 and 10. Of this salvation, the prayer. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired, search carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come, that would come to you. They know the grace that we are going to receive is completely different from theirs. Mm-hmm. And they prophesied that the grace is going to come to you. And, yeah, go, the words, yeah. Searching what, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So they all knew the Spirit of, but when they wrote they did not understand. Okay. The Spirit of Christ was just using their faculties to write down. Like when a man prophesies, he probably doesn't understand what he is prophesying. Mm-hmm. He does not understand what is. I mean, did I say a no unto us, a child is born? Well, he had no clue what he was talking about. Nobody had any clue what he was talking about. No virgin shall bear birth and all. He has no clue, but he's prophesying. It's the word of God. It's recorded. It's kept. And it comes to pass 600 years later. So when the New Testament Life is completely different. They prophesied a lot of things. And when we look at these prophets and their prophecies, don't think they were greater than us. Because Jesus himself says they were not. He says the greatest or born among women was John the Baptist. And he says least in the kingdom. Least in the kingdom. And if you go to John chapter 3, he will say that. John will give us a clue. John chapter 3. When the Pharisees come to him. Hmm? Verse uh, 26 onwards. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, is baptizing and all are coming to him. 
John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Hmm. You yourself bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine Mine is is fulfilled. Now, wait a second over here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. Look over there. So, who is John? He's the Old Testament. Friend of the the bridegroom. So, who are Old Testament people? The bridegroom's party. They're not the bride. They're not the bride. Bridegroom's party. Who are we? Either you're the bride or the bride's party. Oh boy. Either you're the bride or the bride's party. We hmm. like the ones who reach the becomes the bride or the bride's party. There are bride, there are virgins, all of those bridesmaids, all are there. So the bride, okay, bride, bridesmaid. Look at a wedding. You have to when they think it's called the wedding of the lamb, you have to look at the lamb. What is there in the there's a bridegroom, the bridegroom's party. There are best men. Okay, well John the Baptist could be one of the best men for Jesus Christ. Okay, where did all these pictures come from? Okay, and the wedding is officiated by the Father and the Holy Spirit. I mean, you took look at it as a picture. Okay, and then you have the bride, the bridesmaid, and the bride's party. Okay, the bride's party, and look at the bride. Look at the bride, and look at the Old Testament saints. Can the bridegroom's party be compared to the bride? No. no. Way. Okay, even if the bridegroom's party, the best man, he sits, he doesn't sit on the same chair. Mm-hmm. He sits a little behind, he's given <laughs> another chair. Only somebody sits with him, the bridegroom. It is the bride. So that is what the Bible is talking about. You know what? Nobody in the Old Testament can even ever dream of becoming the bride. It's impossible for them. Everybody in the New Testament can run to become the bride. That's the difference. So when you are talking about greatness and all, our greatness is cannot be compared to theirs. Mm-hmm. Theirs is a different thing. And John is the greatest among the them, the Testament. one who points. And he says, I'm the bridegroom's friend. That's all he is. Maybe the best friend, the best man at the wedding. We don't know. You want to think it out that way. So that's the way it is. So the problem with the New Testament people is, New Testament has probably more saints than the Old Testament. You look at 2,000 years of human history. Mm. We don't even know what people even now go through. Mm. The saints in many, many countries go through for their faith. But we have to look at it that uh, it also depends. First, our struggle is basically with surrender. Struggle with surrender. And the devil knows that. So he will always subvert it so the surrender becomes more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. That is why we always try to say it's easiest to surrender when you are young. young. Don't wait to surrender when you are old. It's very difficult. Very, very difficult. Ways are set. Everything is set. And then you have this battle to change. is difficult. Then you have married, you have children, you have families. It's so very, very difficult. It is not very easy. I'm not saying it is impossible. It is possible. Because as possible, most of them, when they were called, they were married with children. But they had to pay a heavy price because of that misunderstanding in the families and all that. They don't understand. Families don't understand where you are going through, what you are going through and all this. No, So that's what the Bible is talking about. But New Covenant 2. If you go through that process, otherwise it will cost you all. That's what Jesus is talking about. Any man, if he loves his life, cannot be my disciple. Deny himself, pick Pick up up his cross, 
if he loves anybody more than me so it's, it's impossible to be on that road it is not possible it's not that you are unsaved or you are not saved you are on the road to that crown it is not possible hmm. the second part uh, i heard you once say by the way you can only give your heart to your wife who has given her heart to god then your heart is safe hmm. if you want to if some sister is upset about that statement my answer is you give your heart to god then the man can give his heart to you because his heart is safe but if the woman's heart is not given entirely to god then you cannot give your heart to that woman because the woman will twist your heart on the other hand if the woman's heart is given entirely to god then the woman will help the man even he stumbles to turn him back to god amen that's the difference otherwise it's a dangerous thing because out of the heart proceeds everything issues that is life. what it's talking the issues of life mm. so you cannot trust your heart with anybody other than god because mm. out of it issues because if you commit your um, your heart to your wife uh, then it is idolatry it is idolatry because the bible says you love god with all your mind, heart yeah. with all your mind all your strength you cannot your love for your wife for your spouse should be from your heart that does not mean you give your heart to mm. them that is idolatry you cannot do that god does not accept it from a man or a woman he does not accept it he does not accept it. he does not accept idolatry for a child or a spouse or anybody he does not accept idolatry idolatry is the most condemned sin in the bible idolatry the first and the most important command thou shall have no other gods before me that's what happened to solomon he turned but it didn't happen to david he also had wives and his wives could never turn his heart away from god yeah. could never turn his heart away from god his father i mean solomon's father also had but he could not turn and that's what the bible is talking about question number 7 will say i told my son that only the devil is bad and we should keep him under our feet with the help of jesus he is saying the same and also says that he will kick the devil my question is that is this provoking the devil we should not be afraid of the devil but should there be a line that we should draw when teaching our yes, children yes we should be careful yeah, about yeah, these yes, things yes. because you no know, we only say what god has said god said bind them god said uh, keep them under your feet <laughs> but god didn't say kick them mm. okay why should we kick the devil okay you don't have to kick the devil okay i mean in the first place you cannot kick them okay you can kick them spiritually you can but that is spiritual warfare it's a different thing okay so we have to be very careful about these things because of uh, uh it's spiritual warfare is not a joke mm. it's a very very serious business it's a very very serious business because it is like not normal warfare it is like covert warfare it's like fighting a terrorist mm. the problem with fighting a terrorist is you do not know where he is and where he is coming from ambush yes yes that's no problem i mean it's easy to fight face to face battle than covert warfare so you have to be very careful about when you're fighting spiritual warfare that you don't want him to come back and hit you so we have to uh, teach children but we actually do not teach the children about the devil leave them alone teach them about christ teach them to grow in christ their their first their uh, loyalty and obedience uh, to christ mm. out of that power and authority should flow when you are a child 
you do not teach them about power and authority. When you are a child, like Jesus Christ, you teach obedience. Yes. He, he learned obedience from what he, he suffered. suffered. There was no other lessons given to him. I mean, he were given. But I am saying that is not important. What they have to be taught is obedience mm. and not everything. And once their obedience is made perfect, is good, then when God gives them power and authority, they will be able to. They will be able to. It's like when you get a horse, you are not teaching it to ride. You are trying to break it. Tame it, yes. Okay, yeah, it's yes. called breaking. You're not breaking its spirit. You have to be very careful when you are taking a horse from the from the mountains and you are training it. You have to be very careful. You don't break the spirit of the horse. If you break the spirit of the horse, it is no good. It will droop like this, and it's like the horses we see overall here. All the spirits have been broken. But on the other hand, you break it without breaking its spirit, then the rider has got it under control. He doesn't even need all he needs with his knees and with his heels. He can, the most powerful horse, he can control it completely. That's what God wants to do. Be very careful you don't break the spirit of your child. Mm. But you break him. It's power under control. And you learn. That is Samuel. Those are the young men you see in the Bible. They are under and all God can direct them in whichever way he wants. We don't break their spirit, but we have to be careful about them. Mm. We are not teaching them spiritual warfare. We are not teaching any of these things to them. What we are teaching them is to obey first. Obey. Come under. Stay under. So that when power is given, it will flow from you. Authority is given without destroying yourself. And that's the problem is Samson. He never came under. But he was the chosen one. Therefore, he was anointed and that messed him up. It's not mm. the anointing that messed him up because he never learned to bring things under subjection. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Last what, question? What is sin in the camp it? and what does I represent? I, I is a little, little I mean, uh, if you, if you, if it, these are all representative pictures from the Old Testament, from real events that takes place, Joshua chapter 7. Uh, seven. And, uh, okay. And if you come to verse 1, the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took off the accursed things so that the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, mm. if you look at it, the Lord had said this. If you turn to chapter 6 and verse 18, and nineteen. And and you by all means abstain from the accursed thing, the cursed things, lest you become cursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Okay? And what happened is that when they did it, one man, one man alone. He took the cursed things and he hid the silver and he brought that into the camp of Israel. Okay, something that was, so God is telling about, so what does I, I represents? I is a very small city. There are a lot of issues over there. If you look at in, in the chapter 7 and verse 2. Uh, 
Uh, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth Evan, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, and let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. If you look at our there, this is the first fundamental mistake Joshua does, which we also made. Once after a great victory, we slacken. We think for the next battle, we don't need the guidance of the Lord. I already have learned. You don't see him inquiring of the Lord. Okay, He resorts to te- typical human distinct sense. Two spies would come out. Oh, there are very few. We don't need to send so many. And that's Now, if you look at it, chapter 8 and verse 1, after the defeat and after Akan is, what does it say? 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now he's going under God's direction. <coughs> I believe he went before the Lord and the Lord said, Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Okay, so God is teaching us lessons. First lesson is that don't take, Ai is a small city, it's a small town. First lesson is don't take any sin in your life as too small to destroy you. Yep, yep, yep. Do not think... <coughs> Any sin in your life is too small to destroy you. Second lesson, don't ever think because a sin is so small, you can overcome it in your strength. Even with that, you need my strength. Without my strength, you cannot overcome any sin. Any sin. Don't even try it. It may hide for a season. It may look it has gone. It hasn't gone anywhere unless I remove it. Amen. The fundamental lesson. And the third lesson is that when you're fighting any sin, small or big, Give it your all. Mm. That is chapter 8. Okay. What does he say? War. Take all the people of war with you. Don't fight big sins and small sins differently. <coughs> a sin is a sin. Left unattended, both can destroy you. Yes. So what do you need to do? The way you fight a big sin, the way you fight a sex sin, ask the counsel of God and once you put your hand into it, give it your everything. Mm. Fight it with all your strength. God will give you a victory. That's what it means, I, how you fight. There is sin in the camp. One man and the whole thing. How do you put it personally? Personally meaning you have one body, body. with many body. members. We are not now talking about the church. We don't bring that into the church because it will confuse people, which is true in the church also. But look at personally. One member of your body can destroy you. That's what Jesus is talking about. Mm. If your eye causes you to sin, Pluck your eye out. If your hand causes you to sin, he said, deal with it. He says, one member of your body going out of, no, some, like in Isaac's case, it was neither his eye nor his nose, no, it is his stomach. One member of his body, everything else is fine. He doesn't take a concubine. He doesn't listen to anything. He's a good man. He does not fight with anybody. God prospers him. He's a man of peace. His enemies make peace. Only one issue. He likes eating. Hmm. That is his problem. One member in his body was not brought into subjection, which brought disaster in his old days. His wife dies, his sons fight, one son is gone, other son is gone. He lives a recluse, very sad life. I mean, it's not even recorded how he, and the strangest part of it is that as far as I'm, as far as I know, Rebecca's death is not recorded in the Bible. Mm. You know that? It's not recorded in the Bible. Her maids devour us. <laughs> Death is recorded and buried. Rebe- Rebecca just disappears into the blue. It's a very sad life. I mean, I mean, they're all righteous people by faith. 
But it's a very sad end for a great man. Incredibly great man. Very sad years. How many years he lived like that? I think around 42 years he lived like that. 38, 42 years he lived like that. What a sad end. You know what? One member. Yes, one member in his body, entire body. Unlike his father, he did not take a wife after his wife died. He didn't do any of these things. Nothing at all. One member, I believe the last, he's very rich, prosperous, everything. I believe his last years was just spent eating. That's all he wanted, eat, eat, eat. Probably he was a, became a fat, obese man. No, we don't know. No, that is the only thing. Is he wicked? No. Is he evil? No. But his motto was living to eat, eating to live. Towards his end. That is a sad part of his story. Yet if you look at what he had and how he was, mm. only one member. Mm. That's what the Bible talks about, sin in the camp. One member. Mm. So be very, there are accursed things in the camp. Jericho is a city that is destined for destruction. Mm. Jericho represents the world. Yes. Don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. And the devoted things, give it take, to God. Give it to God. Yes. Meaning, there is a part in uh, your life, life you have to give which to has God. to be given to God. Otherwise, that will be a cost. Otherwise, that will be a cost. And what happens? If you give that part over to God, mm. the rest becomes holy. holy. Paul yeah. will say that in the new covenant. Yes. When you give the rest becomes holy. So what happens is that if you give that part of everything to, in your life, there is everything that is a part. In Isaac's case, if he had given his appetite, one part of it to God as holy, the rest would have become holy. But meaning, are there areas in your life where you have not consecrated yes. to God, which you have not devoted to God? Mm-hmm. If you have not devoted to God, it will snare you. Every area of your life, devoted to God. Mm-hmm. Devoted to God. And you are safe. If you leave any area undevoted to God, and you will always see that is the area you really, really struggle. Mm-hmm. You will say, Lord, why I am not getting victory over it? He says, because you are not devoting it to me. Mm-hmm. You don't want to devote it to me. Because you like it. Yes. You like it. One day, one day I will give that air. But right now I don't want to give it. The problem is, as time goes on, that area doesn't get weaker. Mm. That area gets Strong. stronger and stronger. And is God stopping you? He doesn't mm. stop. He couldn't. He didn't stop Samson. But that area was only growing stronger and stronger and stronger. He didn't stop Samson. He didn't stop anybody. Because he said, I set you before life and death. I told you what is right, what is wrong. I told you to choose. Mm. But you're not choosing. You're choosing wrong. So mm. That's how it goes. Actually, that is what I... Yes. Actually, one translation says... Parts are devoted to destruction and parts are devoted to God. So what you have to devote to destruction completely destroy and what has to be given to God, give it to God. Yes. Devoted. (laughs) Question number one. The final Final question. question, Yes. Always it is more important than we, uh, that we return a right spirit towards others. Is that the only way we can bring them to our way of thinking, even if our way of thinking is right? I feel when we act in a religious manner, our consequences are always wrong and we fail winning the soul for Jesus. Is it right? Yes. Uh, we saw that in Galatians 5.6, the two places where it says Galatians 5.6 and Ephesians 4. Expressing, yeah, truth. Speaking the truth in love. Yeah, that is Ephesians 4.15. Galatians 5.6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, nothing, but faith working through love. That's the only thing. 
faith working through love. And then, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Okay, so when you are talking about, when you are winning souls, it depends upon who you are. Depends upon who you are. Don't be sloppy, sentimental. Mm. Okay, meaning, if you are a person to whom authority has been given, okay, when you are firm, when you are firm, they may misunderstand that you are being hard. But you are not being hard, you are just being firm. Mm. Because the action of the other person is affecting others who are under your what you call authority. Mm. It is affecting. So you cannot be, you know, don't do it now. Nah. All that won't work. All that won't work. So you are, it differs from place to place. The spirit matters. How you do things matters. Okay. Meek does not mean weak. Mm. Jesus and his disciples, none of them were me- weak men. Mm. They were all meek men. Okay. They were meek means strength under control. Mm. That's what it means. It's like the horse on which the rider is sitting. It's absolute powerful. That is a power horse, but it is under control. That's what it means. So when we are talking about uh, the spirit, yes, your spirit has to be very, very, very careful about this spirit, meaning we have to retain a right spirit towards others. The right spirit will depend upon who you are, depend upon situations, circumstances with people. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. Is Joseph the youngest, practically the youngest brother? Yes. Are all the people standing before his older brothers? Yes. Is his spirit right towards them? Yep. But would you know it from his behavior? No. (laughs) He's the youngest. Yes. But he's very tough. Yes. Very firm. Very tough with them because he cannot continue to encourage their bad behavior. Because if he does, he will be party to their destruction. Hmm understand that. Sometimes people don't understand that. Typically, they all could be, like if they knew who you were, you should be listening to us, not we too. That's what happens. That's what Jesus is also. Jesus is very firm with his mother and his brothers. Very firm. He's not unloving. He's very firm because he allows their behavior. He is investing in their destruction, which he will never do. Mm-hmm. No, he'll never do. Okay. Think about it. Just think about it. Imagine this is Jesus sitting here. And this is a service going on. Okay? Service going on. His mother knows there's a service going on. His brother knows his service going on. They know he is preaching. But they will not come for the meeting. And then suddenly standing outside, they send somebody and says, your mama and brothers are waiting outside. What if he runs out? What is he telling them? Hmm. What is he telling them? What is the message he is sending them? Oh, it is okay not to attend church. It is okay not to listen to the word of God. It is okay not to fellowship. It is okay not to obey is he, isn't he telling them that you are more important? He says, no. Who is my mother? Who is my brothers and sisters? Everyone sitting here who does the will of God. So he's not being unkind and loving. He's actually being loving but firm. firm. You know what? This is the way you should be. Not there. And I'm not going to, uh, what you call, encourage your bad behavior. Mm. Because this is primarily that happens in situations. People miss it. Because this is a warped sense of what love is. What love is. On the other hand, if he's running out, he's not winning any soul. He's not winning any soul. Because there's no conviction that you have done anything wrong. There's no conviction at all. Because they think bad behavior is being uh, celebrated. He doesn't do that. And that's what Joseph is doing. He doesn't reveal himself. He speaks through translators. He's a Hebrew. They are Hebrews. He doesn't. He uses uh, some 
guy in his court who speaks Hebrew, he speaks to him in Egyptian, that guy speaks to him in Hebrew and he's acting as if he doesn't know at all. But he's very kind to them, but he's very firm with them. Very, and he speaks very harshly with them. Very harshly with them. I'm sure you have come here to spy. But in his spirit is different. So that's what I'm saying. Depending upon the position you hold, you have to be very careful. You do have authority, then use that authority. When you have an authority, then it doesn't matter who the people who are standing before you are older or younger. Those things don't matter. Each one works under authority. And Jesus was very firm with people. He was the kindest man who walked on earth. So you have to be very, very careful. That is where you have to allow the Holy Spirit to handle it. Otherwise, we will do this human emotional junk because the entire concept about love and everything is warped. It's all warped. People don't even understand what love is. Because the world has been inundated with love. (laughs) It's a false love. What does the enemy know about love? Where is the world learning about the love? Where is the world talking about love? They are hearing it from the enemy. (laughs) What does the devil know about love? And he perverts everything. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to love, God is very easy. Now now we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 14. Speaking the truth Mm -hmm. in love. Okay. Now you are very loving, but you are speaking the truth. The Bible is who wants to hear the truth? Mm -hmm. Who wants to hear the truth? I mean, it's basically primarily a very good doctor. He's very kind, he smiles, but he tells you this is what your disease is. And the question is, do you want truth or you want flattery? Mm-hmm. Flattery. And some people in the world live on flattery. So they don't want to hear the truth. But the problem is only the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. So the spirit is important because that is our attitude. Attitude. Okay. The Bible says, uh, which place Paul says, that when you save others, be very careful, lest you also be. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. So we have to vary. That's the meek attitude of Jesus. That I am myself are not free from any of these yes. things. With a spirit of meekness. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what do it in a spirit of meekness. Yeah, no? One second. He talks about be very, very careful about it. None of us are immune to anything. We are as weak as the ones we are saying. Only thing. We are very, very careful. Yeah, and because, we are uh, Gal- Galatians 6 verses 1. 1 and 1 onwards. Got it? Yes, it's there. Yeah. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Okay, gentleness means not being, being gentle, meaning be very meek. Be very meek. Don't be proud. Okay, how can you do that? Don't you look at me? I never do it. Don't be very, very careful. Okay, in the spirit of meekness. That's what the Bible is talking about. Considering yourself, lest you are also tempted. Okay, because, yeah, in a fall which you are spiritual, rest of such a one, because lest thou be also be tempted. So all these things are there. Okay, we, we are all in the process of growing, but uh, growth is optional. It has to be chosen. Mm. Spiritual growth is not automatic. Yes. Spiritual decline is automatic. Okay? You're going up a steep incline. All if they have is stop. And don't put the brakes. The vehicle will automatically go down. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. It will automatically go down. But to go up, you have to choose. You have to shift the gears, you have to press on the accelerator, and you have to go up. It is a choice. To go down, 
You don't need anything. Mm. It's the easiest thing to go down. Okay, to go to hell is the easiest thing. Don't have to do anything. Automatically, you will go to go up to heaven to get rewards. You will have to. So there is a battle over there. When you are talking about the spirit, yes, we have to go ask God always, always ask God, help me, Lord. And you have to deal with people. How God deals with the Samaritan woman, how He deals with Nicodemus, how He deals with different different people. It's not the same. Hmm. It is not the same. And that's where, but the scripture says, when you have, that's where you have need the spirit of God to give you discernment when ministering to people. Because scripture says one thing, that he will not shout in the streets. Mm, yes. Okay? He will not shout in the streets. I mean, he's very gentle. He doesn't shout. He doesn't bulldoze people into salvation. Mm. He won't do that. Second thing, he says, a smoking flax he will not put off. Mm. A bruised reed he will not break. Meaning with the broken people, he's very gentle with them. He's very gentle with the Samaritan. He's very gentle with the woman caught in adultery. He's very gentle with all these people. Are they all sinners? Yes, they're all sinners. Mm. Mm, terrible sinners. But he knows them. He knows. You can't punish them anymore. They come at the breaking point. They need to be tenderly brought into the kingdom of God. So how he deals with them is different. With the Pharisees is very hard. Mm. Very hard with the Pharisees. Absolutely. He, he was the toughest with the people, we are gentlest. <laughs> and he was the gentlest with the people, we are the toughest. If you see a prostitute, we will be very tough on them. Repent of your lifestyle. But he's very gentle with them. Oh. When he sees the priest, we will say, praise the Lord, brother. And we'll say, and he's tough with them. Hmm. Because he says, you know what? You are hard. Hmm. You are hard. You are hard. So that's where the discernment has to come. Discernment has to come. We have to be very careful about how we deal with people and only the Holy Spirit knows. So when you're talking about the right spirit, yes, we need the right spirit, but that doesn't mean we compromise on anything. And Jesus never compromised. Never. Even with the Samaritan woman, gently waited and when she said, give me some water, he said, get your husband. She said, I have no husband. He looked around and said, you have right. He said, you had five. You had five. And you're living with the sixth one. Absolutely blunt on the face. Amen. On the face. Man of 38 years sitting on the pool by Bethsaida. Pick up your mat. Go. Yeah. Meets him in the gentle. And he comes and tells him, you know what? Don't sin again. I know why you became crippled. Mm. I know why you sat down that at that pool for 38. I know what you have done. There's nothing small. There's something really big. Or don't sin again. Or something worse. What's will happen to you? Mm. Okay. He is. He doesn't compromise on truth at all. But he loves. He loves people. Mm. Loves people, and that is something which people need to understand. That is the difference. That's why I always say we are tough with people. But when we step down from the pulpit, we accept people. We are graceful. We are graceful. We are a walk in grace. We speak the truth. We walk in grace because ultimately we know we are not the judge. Amen. Judge is God. God. Only what is revealed to us, we know. What is not revealed belongs to God. Secret things belong to God. So we don't judge any man before his time. Yes. Because the worst of sinners can be saved tomorrow. Mm. And the best of saints can stumble headlong (laughs) and fall into a pit. Okay, (laughs) so we leave it to God. Nobody's destiny has been decided yet until the last breath. So we shall pray. 
Father, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. We thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord, that salvation is by faith and faith alone in the work of Jesus Christ. If salvation was by our works, we are all finished. There's no way anybody would would make it, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you that salvation is by faith in the work of your Son, our Savior, our Lord. Our Master, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to walk in that grace and to be graceful, yet to be firm on truth and not buckle, and be actually hard on ourselves and be gentle on others. And yet deal with the hypocrites the way they need to be dealt with. For that's the only way they will be turned to Christ. Because you hate hypocrisy. You hate it, Lord. You are spiritual. You are not religious. Mm. And you hate hypocrisy, Lord. Mm. And I pray, Lord, we will hate the hypocrisy in us and we will resist in others too, Lord. Because we have to save them from the flames. From the flames, Lord. So help us, Lord. We thank you for this new year. Tomorrow, first Sunday of the new year. And I pray all your people, children will come prepared We'll celebrate in your house the victory yes. your son won for us on the cross. As we come to the table, mm. it will be a table of victory, a table of celebration, mm. because we know death has been overcome once and for all. Mm. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Come with the rest of the night into thy hands. Bless your people. Give them rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.